morning, family. Everybody doing all right today? You guys good? All right. Well, there's 14 of you, so this is going to be a great service for you. Everybody else, sorry you didn't show up to church today, but welcome. Uh, I'm just joking. Good to see you. My name's James. I'm the pastor here. I know we got some visitors in the house. So glad you guys are here. I know it's a little crazy stepping into a new church, but uh, we want you just to relax. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you, but I, I do believe that the Word of God applies to every person, no matter where we're at. And I'm thankful for the Word of God. How many guys thankful for the Word of God? Amen? Thankful for it? Christmas season is coming. Here we are. How many already got all your Christmas shopping done? How many? Okay. On behalf of everybody else, we hate you. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Way to be prepared. How many of you guys like to do your Christmas shopping Christmas Eve? Come on. Where are my people at? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's what, It's every husband in here. It's like, that's me. Uh, well, thank you, wives, for having grace on us. But... Uh, I got a, a text uh, back a few days ago. It's probably a little over a week ago now, I guess, uh, from one of the, the folks on our prayer team. Man, these guys are incredible. They, I'm so thankful we got a team of people that they're interceding for us, they're interceding for me, but they're praying through every single prayer request. Like every week we get, we get a lot of prayer requests. Um, some of them are their praise reports, but, but there's just people going through some stuff and these people are praying for them. And, and so I got this text that he said, man, I was, I don't, I won't say it was a he or she, it could have been either, but, but they were sitting at Lowe's, so probably a dude. Uh, so anyway, they're, they're sitting at Lowe's, but they're sitting out in their car, and, and they're just, they're waiting on someone, and, uh, and as they're waiting out there, this guy, they say he was probably in his 30s or so, comes running out with a cart, and he goes rushing up to his truck, and he just starts throwing everything in the cart, from the cart, into his truck. Just in a huge hurry. And then he, he jumps in his truck and he just takes off out of the parking lot. And, and this is how sensitive all these, these guys are. They're, just, they're there probably praying already. And they just start praying. Just praying for them that God that would just keep them safe. And whatever they're in a hurry to go. Whoever they're in a hurry to go see. That God would just bless their time with them. And uh, that they would keep everyone else safe on the road. You know, just bathing the whole thing in prayer. But then as they, they got out of their car, they went in, come to find out the guy was robbing the place. And they're like praying God's blessing on him and God would protect him. And, and uh, so they said they're going to polish up on their reading on praying with discernment. And I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think it's important that we operate in a place of discernment. As I travel around the world, you go to third world countries and the need is evident. You go into a developing nation, a third world country, and it's really obvious what you need to be praying about because you can see it all around you. I think what's a lot more tricky, though, is, is when we're operating around our everyday here in this country, here in our culture, because we're so blessed. God has prospered us. And I'm so thankful for that. But, but sometimes the issue is that because we operate within that, we get comfortable before we know it. I think we can become vulnerable to what the enemy would want to do in our lives. And I think it's important that we have discernment to see where we are. Today, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about just having an honest heart. Taking an honest look at your heart, where you're at. We're going to do that by looking at the book of Revelation. That's the book that we're getting into this next week, the book of Revelation. Now, just so you know, it's not the book of Revelations. Or for the Cajuns, Revelation, or however you would say it. It's the book of Revelation. It's actually 
one revelation that they're communicating about. And the revelation that they're communicating about is found in the first few words of the book in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole book is written to help us have a revelation and understanding of who Jesus Christ is, who he is in our lives, who he is as ruler, who he is as king, to have a revelation of that. The Bible actually says in the book of Revelation that if you read that book, you are blessed just by reading that book because you're going to have a deeper understanding of who God is. And the book of Revelation is actually broken into four different parts. There's the intro, and then there's the letters to the seven churches, and then it talks about the tribulation, and then it talks about eternity. But a lot of people, when they get into Revelation, they, they want to make it like all about the mark of the beast. Like, what's the mark of the beast? What's the mark of the beast? I mean, what's it going to be? Is it like, a, is it a chip? Is, is it a tattoo? Is it something else? It's a little bit more subdued, a little bit harder to identify. Is it, is it some sort of logo from a sports team? Is it LSU? Is that the mark of the beast? What is the mark of the beast? They're trying to figure these things out. And they just operate in a place of fear trying to figure out because they, they just, they're gripped with this thing. And, and then some people, they want to focus about, well, the rapture. I mean, when the rapture, when's that going to happen? We're going to be raptured. And the rapture, is that going to happen before the tribulation? Is, is that going to happen in the middle of the tribulation? Is it going to happen? Are we going to have to go all through the whole tribulation and then we get raptured after the tribulation and people are gripped in fear and they want to argue about this. Just so you know, as a church, we are a pan-trib church. In the end, We believe it's all going to pan out, so we don't really need to be fighting about it and wasting time on it. We just need to live the lives that God has called us to live. But really what's happening in the book of Revelation is it's trying to help us get a picture of where we are and who we are so that we are prepared for the coming of Christ. That's really what it's trying to set us up to do. But I think, and what we're going to focus on today, we're going to focus on these seven letters to these seven churches. Basically, these seven churches, they're actually all located in what is modern-day Turkey, western Turkey. There were a lot more churches than these seven churches, but these were the churches of influence. This is where a lot of the other churches would come to to figure out what is happening, what the apostles are communicating down the chain. It's also a place that a lot of churches were planted from. These are churches of influence, and I think that's really important. Because a lot of times, churches of influence can be the most susceptible to what the enemy is trying to do. Because they're, they're fast moving, they're progressive, they're reaching a lot of people, they may be finding a lot of success, and in that place of success, they could get comfortable, and before they know it, the enemy could worm his way in and create a lot of damage. And so, Jesus is writing these letters to these seven churches helping them understand exactly where they're at. I think this poses two good questions for us to answer. If Jesus was going to write a letter to New Life Church, let's make it even more specific, a letter to New Life Church in Cabot, Arkansas, what would Jesus say to our church? What would he communicate to us? To make it even more personal, if Jesus was going to write a letter to you and where you're at and how you're doing and how it relates to his kingdom and how it relates to the body of Christ, what would he say if he was going to write a letter to you? I think these letters, they are actually very relevant 
Because I think within each one of these letters, you can find where you're landing in your relationship with God. And my prayer would be that you would read as we look at these these different churches, and we're going to spend a lot more time on two of them and then on the rest of them, but all of them, they could have something relevant to your life. The prayer would be, though, that you would like look at it as an MRI to your own heart. Like, where am I in relation to my, my relationship with Jesus, the church, eternity, all these things? Because in these letters, Jesus is exposing the good, the bad, and the ugly. What's the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives? What's the good, the bad, and the ugly of our church? As a pastor, I'm taking a look at this. So we're going to talk through these. Last night, Pastor Rick, our lead pastor, for those of you who may not aware, we're part of a big vision, lots of campuses, and our lead pastor, the guy that planted the church, his name is Rick Bizet. He spoke on this subject last night. Uh, he got very vulnerable when he was talking about this first church. And so I want us to listen in. We're going to watch a little bit of video, and then we're going to get back to the notes, and I'll speak a little bit more. But let's watch this video together. So let's look. The first one is the church of Ephesus. Reading in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 1, all the way through 3. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Like, man, this seems like such a solid church. Everybody wants people to have hard work and and to persevere. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, uh, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're false teachers, but are not, and have found them false. You, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. This is amazing. And have not grown weary. So it's, so it's encouraging, like it's saying some incredible things. They're, they're hard workers, uh, they're very, very dedicated. I would love to pastor a church like that. In fact, I do. Uh, These people were big producers. They were leaders. Uh, This would be a great church to be around. I I try to hire people who are very similar to this. If uh, if you're a person who ever gets to hire someone, you would probably want to hire someone who perseveres, who endures, and who's somebody who sticks it through, like loyal people who want to hit the tape and finish. This is what these people are about. And I just want to stop for a second and just say, because this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I got to say it. In the day that we live in, so many people have gotten to be lazy. They don't get up early enough and they don't stay in the game long enough. They quit too early. They don't work hard. If you talk to people that own businesses and they often tell me this, that when they're interviewing someone for work, like as soon as there's a break in the conversation, they want to know what's the benefits? When do I get off? And do I have to really stay to five o'clock every day? And let me tell you, God makes warriors and warriors work. And I don't know if you're a worker, but But God is asking for you to be someone who has like fire in your gut to get up and do things. However, interesting enough uh, that he rebukes these busy people. So there is a balance. And I think that we all have to see it, like look at it honestly. Because in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, the very next verse that we didn't read, he said, you're doing great. You're, You're working so hard. I'm so proud of you. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
Like, what? You know, it's incredible to be encouraged by someone you honor, uh, someone you love. But, but when, they, when they correct you and they, 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 they give you some pushback, it's very hard. It's like Michelle, like, I just love her. But if I, like, if I tell Michelle, Michelle, I just love, you're so cute and pretty. I just love you. But you don't make gumbo as good as my mom. <laughs> you know? I mean, no, that's going to be an issue. Well, this is what God will do. He will tell you where you're doing well. He's, he's, he's not going to ham it up. He's not a sanguine. He's, he's just, he's just going gonna, gonna to be straight. Here's where you're doing really well. But let me tell you what we have to work on. It's more than that here in this story. Because he says, I hold it against you. Which means that he charges. And, and that you have forsaken. This word forsaken is very similar to the same word in the Greek when a, when a couple gets divorced. Like, you've divorced me. We used to be in a relationship. What happened? And he's challenging them. Interesting to me that God knows who loves him. And he knows who no longer loves them or loves him. In the Ten Commandments, you can see it in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord. Now, this ought to encourage you. For the Lord, whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Could you look here for a minute? This ought to encourage you. Like your God, he's a jealous, like he really wants you to love him. That's amazing to me that he doesn't even say uh, that I'm a jealous God. He brings it to another level. He says, my name is jealous. This is why he looks around to see who's, who's worshiping him and My goodness, when we were singing and worshiping earlier, it's amazing to know that he likes that. And yes, it's encouraging for all of us, but the Lord loves it. So here's where I want to get honest. How much do you really love God? I just want all of you to look here. How much do you really love the Lord? There's been a few times where I've had some friends around me And I said to them, man, I think I used to love God more. I remember when I loved him more. I remember when I used to love the poor more. I remember when I used to love souls more. I remember that. What happened? Well, the verse that I'm about to read to you, it talks about how knowledge, it just... It puffs up. It's like, like when you learn things. We have pastors that come over often. and This is just my story, so I have to share. They, they come in and we, we, we coach them. Sometimes there will be a few hundred pastors and leaders that are here at a time. But, but, but most of the time, it's, it's just like a handful. And, and, and after a few days, after the second day, it's just I get tired of hearing myself speak because... It's like I'm just giving them a bunch of knowledge. But what they really need is the love of God. And, and in this verse, look at this verse. My goodness, it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1. We all possess knowledge. Elbow somebody say, you got some, bro. You got some. We all possess some. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Uh, this last week, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the two campaigns, they got together, the presidential campaign leaders. I think they, they were at Harvard. 
There's no video of this, but there's audio. And I don't recommend you listen to it. But it's the, it's the winner and the loser in the same room talking about why they won and why they lost. Woo! You don't know. You don't know why we. You don't. Well, you didn't win. I would have never won like you won. Well, you would have to. You'd do anything to win. And it was all. It was just this. Not these knowledgeable people, puffed up, like swollen, not strong, just swollen. This is exactly what happens to all of us. This is what happened. The word puffed up. It, it means to swell and to become only reasonable. I just want to talk to you about that. It means to, to, to have enough knowledge to where everything is reasonable for you. I want to talk about that just for a minute. Because some might say, well, my love for God seems reasonable. But why can't your love for God be like unreasonable? Like, like if Michelle said, Rick, do you love me? Well, within reason. <laughs> How do you think that's going to go? Why can't we have an unreasonable love for him? Do you have a huge heart of love? Or just swollen up knowledge? Some of the most knowledgeable people I know are reasonable in their relationship with God. Now, I'm so thankful to be a part of OBU because it's an incredible school. But as I travel around and speak to a lot of universities, secular and Christian, when you speak to them, It's amazing how dry the professors usually are. Like no worship, reasonable worship. (laughs) God forbid, I think we all have that reason. We we all try to figure out where's where's our reason. The apostles, I often wonder when I read through the epistles. When I read some of you, what are the epistles? Is that the wives of the apostles? No, no. But when I, when I read through, I often wonder, how did they keep such knowledge and such love? This verse that I'm about to read to you, I can't stand it. But I'm going to read it to you. Paul, he was amazing. He was so close to the Lord. Look, look at what he said. How many of you have ever said this? I say zero. I know I never have once. And I'm not about too soon. Look at this. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Like he's setting this up like this is honest. Talk about an honest look. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed And cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. What? I pastor a church and I've never prayed, Lord, just I don't mind being cut off from you for eternity. Just save one more of them, God. Okay. All I'm trying to do is to get you to understand that we can learn the word without becoming arrogant and we can, it can make us love him more you can do it recently and I do this all the time every year in different places I'll take my kids like when we delivered turkeys at Thanksgiving to some really poor people 
And I, I go in, and it's incredible ministry time. And they don't have something to eat unless you bring it to them. It's went over this one uh, lady's home, and, and, uh, and she had four really cute kids, a Hispanic lady. And, and we were there, and she invited us into her home, and we prayed for them. And, and uh, happy, like happy lady. You could tell she was a hard-working lady. So thankful. And we walked out. I glanced over at the, my kids, and you could tell that it was, just, it was just different. Like, you see, when you do an honest look and you see what's going on around you, it changes you. When is the last time you, like, were wept because of the foster kids? There's thousands of them in Arkansas, and they're gearing up for Christmas, which means they're not gearing up for Christmas. <laughs> I just believe that God would love for us to take an honest look. There's these young girls. We support this ministry in Germany. And this lady, they they, they have these, these, in the human trafficking, they they bring these girls in to Germany. And they put them in these brothels. And they they, they have no choice. They can't get out. It's It's like a prison there. I've walked around and praying, but these girls get to go in and they, they give them like perfume and flowers and, and hot chocolate and, and they build relationships with them and then they start whispering, I, I want to get out of here. Somebody's going to have to love for that to happen. There's a mom who's a, a member of NLC who recently broke in front of me and I prayed for her. Her husband is in prison. He's a felon and she didn't see it coming and now he's gone like there's no income. She's just broken down, looking in my eyes like, what do I do? Just the need to care. Here's another question. I got a lot of questions today and I'm sorry. I I don't apologize for the sermon. I wish it was even more aggressive. But I'll tell you, the questions have to be, this is where you get honest. Are you at the peak of your relationship with God? These people were not because they were moving through life. Often I'll say this, how many enduring relationships have you ever built in your life? Including your marriage or your friends or your kids or whatever's important, your mom. When you were traveling through life at a high rate of speed, like at Mach 2. How many enduring relationships can you really build traveling like that? And this is what I think he was saying to this church, like you're overloaded. You're just moving through life too fast. It's like people that are raising kids, and I've said it a few times lately because I'm, I'm warning you. Look, please, when you're raising your children, there's so many things they can do. And I applaud sports and, 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 and the arts and, and get them in something. But in everything, no. Because you're trying to... to Have a great life, but you're missing out on a life with the Lord. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Satan loves to distract people with a plethora of activity. That produces little for the kingdom of God. It's not advancing the kingdom. So the solution, what I love about the Lord is he doesn't just say, you've lost your love. Get out of here. He doesn't do that. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that? He always brings up something weak in your life because he wants you back. He just loves you. He's not this fiery God like, get away from me. You smell. 
No, it's always like, here's what's going on week. He's, this is where you used to love me. You, you walked with me. You, you were there. We, we were partners. And you fell. So then he tells them what to do to get it back. Consider how far you have fallen, please. Like, let's measure that, an honest look. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is not the move he wants to make. He just wants us to have a relationship that is strong. Good stuff. Hey, guys, we're thankful for our lead pastor. Amen. Thankful for him. You know, the way that I would relate to this, I remember when I went to Bible school and, um, when I went to Bible school, there were a lot of us that were similar, man. We were just passionate about God. Just like so passionate about God. And if you came and asked any one of us a theological question, we'd just be like, I don't know, man. I just love Jesus. I, I just love Jesus. I want to do things for, for Jesus. That's it. And the way we'd worship, the way we'd pray, the way we, I mean, it was all just so passionate. But I noticed it happened. And those around me, and even in myself, as we would get into our classes, New Testament, Old Testament survey, just theology, things like that, just all of a sudden things change. It's like we got this knowledge. And so we, all of a sudden, because we felt like we got it in our heads, we quit living with our hearts. And I, and I for, for many years, even in ministry, honestly, the thing that I struggled with, it's like I learned, I loved first, I loved first, but then I learned. And then I would go back to people and try to help them learn too. But I didn't love them. Love must be sincere then hate what is evil. And it's not your opinion of whether or not you sincerely love or not, it's the other person's opinion of whether or not you sincerely love. But you won't get to that place if your love towards God has gotten cold. Another church that you might be able to relate to, the church in Smyrna, now these this church was suffering a lot of persecution and they were really struggling with this. They were a little bit, they were succumbing to the persecution that was happening. Some of you, you may be going through a season right now, just a situation or circumstance, and it just feels overwhelming. Look, really, none of us, especially in the Bible Belt, we're not really facing persecution of our faith. Uh, we're really not. <laughs> but, we, but we can be facing some difficult times. We could be facing some pressure. We could be facing some difficult things. And and this is what I've noticed, and this is what Jesus was trying to exhort this church with. I've seen people, two people, go through a very similar storm. And, and you could apply this to a lot of different circumstances. Uh, it could be an ugly divorce. It, it could be financial issues. It could be a, a sickness. Uh, these storms that come in, I've noticed that there's two responses. In one person's life, it seems like that circumstance, that storm just destroys everything. It just rips their life to pieces. And then I see someone else go through the exact same storm and it makes them stronger. 
And as you get closer, what you realize is one is very closely tethered to Jesus and is finding their identity and their security in something that is bigger than the natural. And what, and what he is exhorting this church to do is stay close to Jesus. No matter what persecution you face, if you'll stay in that place, then the storm will only strengthen you. That would be my prayer for you as well. Then there's a church in Pergamum. Pergamum. Now this one, it starts off really positive. He says, you've remained pretty faithful to me, but what we don't realize is the enemy has wormed his way in. You've allowed some demonic things around your life. Look, I know a lot of really, really strong believers that never mean for anything like this to happen in their lives, but they slowly but surely kind of let their guard down in a few different areas. There's this verse that I always think about. This is kind of a measuring stick for me, and this is not in your notes, but you can write it down look at it later. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters. Raise your hand if you're a brother or sister. Okay, so this applies to all of us. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Like that's like your measuring stick for what you should be looking at, focusing on. So next time you get on Facebook or you get on social media, Let the word of God be your standard for what you allow yourself to be subjected to, what you put on there. Before you push post, go through this list. Is this true? Noble? Is it pure? Loving? It says, think about these things. Look, this is what happens in my own life. I'll be doing really, really well. I might watch a show on Netflix or whatever. And, and this might happen to you too, where you're watching this show. And, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with watching something for entertainment. But what will happen is I'll be watching something. And then something will happen in the show or the movie. And I'll just be like, ooh, uh, man, that just didn't sit right. Could have been something they said or something I saw, whatever it is. But I just know it's like, man, that's not, that's not what I need. That's not. The problem is sometimes, though, we don't adjust the behavior. We're like, oh, I'm glad that's over with. But the problem is the next time you go back and watch another show and the same type of thing is said or the same type of thing you see, you've dulled your conviction. And over time, it's harder and harder for you to hear the Holy Spirit saying, no, you don't need that in your life. You don't need that in your life. And that's what happened to this church. They were getting to a place where the, whole, the, the enemy had wormed his way in. And Jesus is just saying, look, this is going to produce rebellion in you. Don't rebel against me. Repent. Repent. So that the enemy can't have his way in your life. The next church, the church in Thyatira. Or Thyatira. Now, this church had slipped in what the word would refer to as a Jezebel spirit. It's a perverse, sexually immoral type thing. And that's what these guys have fallen into. 
And this can be a major trap in our culture. Did you know that the revenue that comes in from pornography is still greater than all the major sports combined? On an annual basis, pornography brings in more money than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. This is an issue. And I've seen way too many godly people, they love the Lord. It always starts small. It always starts in small ways. But what happens is they get into this thing and they're embarrassed. And so they keep it a secret. And the longer they keep the secret, the more damage it is doing, even though they don't realize the damage that it's doing. And then eventually, whether they get caught or they confess, they've been in it so long that the consequences are tremendous. If I could give you one piece of advice from the bottom of my heart, you need to run to repentance as soon as you can. And you don't need to worry about the fear of what it's going to mean. You need to fear God. You need to fear whether or not you can approach him with confidence and be in his presence again. But you need to confess this because it's going to destroy your life. And this was the, the exhortation that Jesus is trying to give this church. Look, you've got to see this thing. It's going to kill you. The reason why Jesus hates it is because it's like anything else that becomes a counterfeit to the real thing. Pornography is you settling for a counterfeit of God wanting to have true intimacy in your life. And that was the reason why he hated religion, because religion was a counterfeit to relationship with Jesus. That's the reason why he hates it, because it's killing your intimacy with him. You're settling for a counterfeit. There's also the church in Sardis. This is what he, he said to them. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. This is literally the church of the walking dead. Like, they, they, they were going around. And here's the thing. This is a church that had a reputation for being like the place to be, man. They had it going on. They had the most relevant thing going on in their time. And, and it looked like from the outside, man, this is awesome. This is a cre- what a great church. But in reality, they were dead. God, help us never to become that as New Life Church. Because it could happen, and this could be happening in your own life. You have this reputation for being this great Christian and everything. You've got it, but in reality, on the inside, you're dead. You're dead. And Jesus is saying, wake up again. Wake up. See that this is happening in your life. Also, the church in Philadelphia, not the one in Pennsylvania. This is different. Different place in the world. This, This church was not rebuked at all. Like Jesus had really good things to say about this church. They were faithful. He he loved that they knew how much he loved them. But there was one thing that he was exhorting them to do, and that was hold on. Hold on. Hang on. Revelations 3, verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And I think that this could be a word from the Lord for some of you. You're doing so well. You're doing so well, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep holding on. Keep holding on to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Let some people know around you. 
If you're starting to get weak in your faith, let some people know so they can come alongside of you and support you and encourage you. But hold on. Hold on to the faith. Don't let go just because, just because his promise seems late. His timing is not your timing, but he is faithful. He's faithful. He'll bring it at the right time. Keep holding on. And then there's the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea, and this is kind of where we're going to land, because I think this is another church that, that unfortunately the church in America at least there's a little bit too much that we can relate to in this. And, and I think there's a chance that some of us could struggle with some of these things. But this is what he addressed them with in chapter 3, verse 14. It says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is Jesus speaking. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. Man, we got everything that we need. Why would we need anything else? We got everything that we need. But you do not realize that you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The amazing thing about this is it's almost like Jesus is saying, I really, I really do prefer cold instead of just lukewarm. And I always thought that was interesting in the scripture because when I read that, I'm like, no, I mean, that can't be right. Like he should have just said, be hot or be hot. But he actually prefers you being cold. Like how could that be good? You know, in marriage, you make a lot of sacrifices, Right? You're supposed to. The Bible says that husbands should lay down their lives for their wives, like, like Christ did for the church. You know, and So the, there's some sacrifices you make, and here's the deal. I miss it more time than I get it. But there is one area that I feel confident that I live very sacrificially towards my wife, very sacrificially. And that is when I am in my bed, and I am warm, and she takes those feet they're like icicles and sticks them on my warm legs and leads them there. And I let her because I'm a Christian. <laughs> my wife is like a lizard. She does not have the ability to produce her own heat at all. At all. She just can't do it. If she doesn't have another source of warmth around her, she'll just die. She just will die. And so she's so thankful to have a normal mammal who lives with her that produces body heat that she can come near to to get warm again. I think maybe the reason why Jesus just prefers you to be cold because he knows at one point or another you're going to be cold enough you're going to be desperate to be near something warm again. Eventually, you're going to want to be close to the presence of God if you're cold. The problem is too often you get lukewarm, and in a place of lukewarmness, you get complacent, you get comfortable, you don't even realize that it's happening, and you think you're okay, but in reality, it is going to kill you slowly. He says, don't be lukewarm. Nobody likes anything lukewarm. 
How many of you guys like lukewarm hot chocolate? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Like it, the marshmallows won't even melt. That's, that's not of God. I mean, come on. None of you drive up to Starbucks, like drive through, drive through. Hey, okay, um, I want some coffee. But have you have any that's just been sitting around a few hours? It's just kind of cool, like room temperature kind of coffee? Because I, I want to pay $8 for that right now. That's what I want to do for your lukewarm coffee. You don't do that. When I get lukewarm coffee, I heat it up because that's what Christians do. You drink hot coffee or sour milk. Look, I'll, I'm checking the dates on my milk all the time. I get within a couple days of milk. I am not going to drink that stuff. It's too risky. I don't want sour milk. I won't drink it. I'll give it to the kids, but I will not drink it. There is no way I'm going to do that because I want it to be the way that it's supposed to be. It's not called warm springs. It's called hot springs because nobody wants to live in warm springs. There's a city in Georgia called Warm Springs. 900 people live there. That's it. Al Capone would not want to live in Warm Springs. Okay, it just wouldn't happen. Nobody gets excited. Come on over and sit in my warm tub. It's a hot tub, not a warm tub. A warm tub is a Petri dish, and it's disgusting. God wants us to be hot and in relationship with him. Revelation 3, 17 says, Because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy and have, I have need of nothing. You do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It's embarrassing when you get caught naked. I had a friend that he was at a hotel, ordered some room service. And when he got done eating, he was setting the tray outside his room. The problem is the door closed behind him. The bigger problem was he was completely naked. Well, what do you do at that point? You have to go to the front desk. <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. In my own life, I just don't want to get caught unclothed with God's grace, mercy, and love. I want Jesus to return and find me thinking that I'm doing well, but in reality, I'm miserable, poor, wretched, and naked. I want to be around the things of God. And Jesus is saying he's just really sick of their indifference. That's the biggest thing. In 1986, the Nobel Peace Prize recipient said these words during the acceptance speech. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's just not really caring. You know, as Pastor Rick was talking about the different things, here's what I'm convinced of. If you knew what the church did, if you really knew what the church did, it would move you. It would move you. It would move you emotionally. I don't care how hard you think you are, how tough you think you are. If you could really see what was happening in people's lives, it would break you. But the truth is you have to be close enough to it to even know what's going on. You got to be close enough to it. And as you talk, as we talk about the things that this brokenness, the things that are happening are hurting people around you, there's a real good tendency for you just to kind of throw it in and mix it in with the rest of the news that you're going to hear. And what Jesus is saying is, please don't be indifferent to the hurt. Please don't be indifferent to the things that break my heart. 
be moved. Be moved to action. Do something. Don't be indifferent. When we become indifferent, we become lightly committed to like a hundred different things in our life and not truly committed to just one thing. And there's just one thing that we're gonna take with us. And that's our relationship with Jesus. I think that has to be the priority. Revelations 3.19, this is the hope. This is, because even to this church, even to this church, it's so, they've kicked Jesus out of the scenario. This is what he says, be earnest and repent. If you can be honest, if you can be honest and repent, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying, I want in. I want to be back in. You have to open the door. He is not going to push his way through. I think every one of us have to be honest. Like, which one of these letters would be closest to the letter that Jesus would write to me? Where am I at? Let's give a chance to, to respond to that. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Relationship with Jesus. Is it hot? Is it hot? Or is it totally cold? Well, good news. Good news. If it's totally cold, there's a chance you've just never even accepted Jesus. You don't even have a relationship with him. Or you just need to rededicate your life to him. But but is there a chance you just got lukewarm? You kind of cooled off. For one reason or another. in either one of those places, I, I, I know the Spirit of God is speaking to you. But I do believe it's important that you're bold enough to respond. If you're here today and you would say, I need Jesus, I don't, I don't even have a relationship with him, or you know that your relationship with him, it's off track. You've gotten cold or lukewarm and you need to come back to him. You need to open the door again invite him back into your life. If you're either one of those people, would you be bold enough to raise your hand right now? And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But I want to pray with you today. Got it, got it, got it. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Got it. Thanks, man. Anybody else? Yes, sir. God's going to honor. Anybody else? Got it. Thanks, bro. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? not a good time to be stubborn. This is a really good time to just be honest. In your weakness, his power is going to be made perfect. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus today. Yes, sir. Thank you.
that, that Jesus came, that he died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for your sin. And as you believe that in faith, then you invite him to have control of your life. You invite him to be the Lord of your life. He will save you. He's gonna come back into your life. That's you opening the door and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you to come back in. Thank you for being here. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my Lord. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being close to me. God, I wanna be in a place where I live for you. I want the letter that you write to my life to be one that is glorifying to our heavenly father that builds the kingdom of God, that's full of purpose, that's full of a plan, that's full of your grace and full of your love. God, I pray that for every person in this room. God, we want to, man, God, if we could be like the church in Philadelphia, if we could be that church that's faithfully trusting you, help us to hold on, God. Help us to help each other hold on. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand if you're thankful for him.